Hello and welcome to EG's Voice of the Region with me, Jim Larkin. Uh, this time it's a capital edition focusing on City Fringe, which is a large and diverse area stretching from Clerkenwell in the west uh, through Shoreditch, or London's fashionable Shoreditch as pundits are obliged to call it, um, and out past Whitechapel to the east. Um, traditionally it's a less than salubrious part of the capital, but it's reinvented itself in the 21st century as a hotbed of tech and creative enterprise and is now a mecca for those seeking out cool quirky offices and the cachet that comes from having a base in this part of town. Um, it's a market especially well known to Sean Simons, who, along with Michael Rabin and Elliot Stern, launched the agency Compton in the middle of the pandemic, and which now comfortably leads the 2022 radius rankings for City Fringe, uh, with more than 800,000 square feet transacted across a whopping 144 deals. So I'm very pleased to be joined by Sean to talk through what has been a chaotic 2022, and to ask what the future looks like for offices as we head into the choppy economic waters of 2023. Um, and I think it's safe to say he will definitely have some thoughts. Sean, hello, how are you? I'm very well, Jim. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good. I'm good, thank you. Um, now, I normally start by asking agents uh, how their year's been, but I've seen the radius rankings for City Fringe, um, and I know exactly how your year's been, which is extremely busy. Um, has the level of activity uh, come as a surprise, and how have you managed to keep pace with it? Um, well, it, it's been, I would say it's been an interesting year. And yes, I mean, from a um, from a league table standpoint, we're obviously incredibly proud of the figures that we've managed to uh, carry out this year. But I think that kind of only really tells half the story. In, in, in truth, um, we've had a great year, but had we have not have had all the kind of political and economic unrest and disruption this year, um, those figures would have been significantly higher, which um, is a something to be a target for next year. Um, but as I said, it only tells half the story. I actually think this year has been an absolute slog. I mean, I don't remember a year end where I've ever been as kind of emotionally and physically exhausted <laughs> as I am now. Um, because yes, whilst there has been lots of success, there has also been quite a lot of difficult moments this year. And, and as I said, whilst those numbers are excellent, I can't help but feel um, that they could have been much better. But that's kind of, I guess, part of the uh, the makeup of both myself and the Compton team here. We're obviously very, very proud of it, but we always think we can be doing more and be doing better. Sure. Yeah, it's been a funny old year, hasn't it? It kind of feels like we've been bookended by, you know, COVID at the start and now recession at the end with a kind of <laughs> buoyant few months in the middle. Well, it's actually it's actually beyond that. I mean, if, it, I kept describing kind of COVID um, as kind of the rug, the rug that kept getting swept from under your feet. Mm. Um, and listen, I don't we don't need to talk about COVID anymore because as far as we're concerned, that that's kind of a history. But but the kind of the year of 2022 has kind of felt quite similar to 2020 and 2021, but for different reasons. So mm. during COVID, we had that kind of moment where <laughs> things were open and then things were closed and it was like a very, very stop start. And for different reasons, it's kind of been the same impact this year. Kind of when you start to think you've got some momentum, all of a sudden Russia invades Ukraine. <laughs> then yeah. all of a sudden you think you've got, um, you've got some, um, it's it stabilised a bit. And then all of a sudden, um Liz Trust gets elected and, and puts out this mini budget then the rug gets pulled from under your feet again and then you've got interest rate rises and then the rug gets pulled I mean it's just been 
one thing after another. And I think this is, I think for most people in property this year, you've had to have, you've had to have had incredibly thick skin um, mm. because it has not been, in, well, I don't think it's been that enjoyable because um, it's just been led with so much chaos and uncertainty, really. Mm. Sure. Okay. Um, has there been, um, you've done masses of deals, has there been a particular type of tenant that's taken most of the space or has it been quite a broad spectrum? Um, I mean, listen, dur- during COVID, right, I was I was pretty outspoken about the return to the office. I mean, whilst kind of lots of people would be blasting lots of incorrect nonsense around how the office is a redundant um, mm is a redundant element. It's not really needed anymore. The days of working from home are here. I mean, I think what 2022 has proved is that is not the case. Um, I mean, if you look outside of the city fringe market and you just look at the sheer, um, look at the likes of the city with the the very sizable prelets that have been happening consistently throughout 2022. You also look at the West End market where I mean, there's way more, what seems to be a lot more demand than there currently is supply. Um, And then also for the fringe market, I mean, one of the, I actually think during COVID, one of the biggest impacted markets across the UK was the city fringe market for small lettings, because Mm -hmm. the majority of people we do business with are creative and in particular tech, um, who are accustomed to working from home, like kind of ducks to water. And actually we spent pretty much 2020 through to 2022, pretty much not doing really many transactions. And I think what the figures show in the Radius League tables and through our performance being the lead agent in City Fringe is small businesses have really kind of reactivated. I mean, when I spoke at the beginning of this of this chat about the, the amount of lost or lack of deals, they tend to be at the upper end of the market. So I think what's happened in the fringe this year is there's been a real lack of large scale movers. And I think the impact of that is is probably related to uncertainty in the tech world. But what has certainly activated, and our, I mean, we've probably had our best ever year leasing not 10,000 square feet. Um, mm. And I've been running, I've been, I've been, I've been an agent for 23 years, but I've been running teams and businesses for, for 15 of those. And there is not a year that we have ever done that amount of deals and that quantum of square footage without actually really doing many deals over 50,000 square feet. The majority of the deals that make up that 800,000 square feet are probably sub 10,000 square feet, which for mm. us is a, is a pleasure to see and kind of further justifies I guess the position we took at the beginning of COVID being quite um, resolute about the need for offices in the future. I think the figures kind of prove that. Sure. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, now, um, along with um, Michael and Elliot, who you'd worked together with at Colliers, um, you opened, started trading as Compton at the start of the second quarter of last year, which was just after we'd been through probably the worst April of 20, all the lockdowns. Um, April 21. Did, it was right in the April 21. Lockdown. It was actually, no, sorry, we actually, formed, we actually launched in the middle of the third lockdown. I mean, did that feel like a massive risk or in a funny way, did it kind of remove some of the pressure in that? You know, it didn't matter if you didn't do a million square feet in the first oh, month no. because the market was was quite subdued. It it definitely mattered. Like, I mean, it couldn't have mattered more because actually the way <laughs> we structured our exit from Colliers was that um, we were effectively taking on the responsibility of the entire team. So when we left Colliers at the end of March, um, we were in, the, as I said, we were in the third lockdown. Revenue was virtually zero. 
Um, mm. And the three of us effectively took the gamble on leaving, launching ourselves, taking the entire, at the time, 15-person team with us and effectively having to bankroll it until such time that the market reopened. And um, whether it's luck, judgment, a hybrid of the two, but fortuitously, about five, six weeks after we launched the business, the market seemed to kind of open its doors again. Um, we also had really good performance from a league tables perspective in 2021, the element that we were um, open for. And obviously, 2022 has gone from kind of strength to strength. But um, I guess, listen, we always back ourselves. I mean, in terms of the people we are, the way we've always been. I mean, listen, I started my first business, Hatton Real Estate, in the middle of the financial crisis. So it only felt right that when another kind of global crisis occurs, it would be the time for me to set up another business. But we kind of backed ourselves and, and we backed the market reopening. We backed London um, as, a, as a city where people want to work. Uh, and invest um and as it sounds today that 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 gamble and that risk has paid off um was it a risk yes was it a high risk i think so yes um but as they say kind of fortune favors the brave and i think the one thing that no one can ever accuse us of is not being brave in the way we do things or the way we apply ourselves sure okay um now um a lot of people and you've probably helped a fair few of them find office space um they used that pause that lockdown offered to kind of reflect on their career and their lives and decided that you know i'm not going to work for the man anymore um and decided to go alone um was that what happened with you guys or had this been in the pipeline for a while no when we when we sold our business to to colliers we um we signed five-year contracts we had Mm -hmm. we always had the intention of um honoring those contracts um we, we actually started negotiating with Colliers around um, a new deal uh, pre-COVID and then everything got on hold um, because COVID happened and there were, quite frankly, there was bigger fish to fry. We had a responsibility to the business, we had a responsibility to us, to our staff, and we had a responsibility to, to our clients. And it was just an inappropriate time for us to kind of make a selfish decision. Um, I think what transpired after kind of COVID was that Listen, the world was in a very weird place. Um, and I just think the the deal to stay on, what we wanted didn't suit Collins and what Collins wanted didn't suit us. And it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a kind of a, a, an exit um, with any animosity. It was an incredibly kind of um, friendly departure. We just couldn't find a way, given where the world was at that moment in time, to find a way to make it work um and therefore we we took the decision it wasn't something we'd been planning it was just it was one of the things that we knew may happen um we were ready if it was going to happen and we kind of did the deal with colliers regarding our our departure um which was like a really nice breakup quite frankly um <laughs> they, they carried on doing their thing we carried on doing our thing but we've actually maintained a, a really close working relationship with them um even close to kind of two years after leaving. So all's well, ends well. Good stuff. Um, um, where did the name Compton come from? <laughs> um, I get asked that a lot. Um, <laughs> so um, there is, there is, well, the first business was called Hatton Real Estate. Um, mm-hmm. We came up with Hatton. We thought Hatton was quite a cool name. Um, 
And the fact that myself, Michael and Ricky, my business partners of Hatton, we all started working together on Hatton Garden. It kind of felt like some low hanging fruit and it kind of just worked for us. <laughs> um, when we were doing Compton, we needed a name that it kind of felt similar to Hatton, but kind of moved on. Compton Street is a street in Clerkenwell. We've got no real um, allegiance to that street. I mean, we have kind of bought and sold and let loads of buildings on Compton Street, but it was just a, it was a local street in Clerkenwell. We felt as a brand, it could carry nicely in the same way Hatton did. We also always kind of had an inkling that we were going to be doing more in, with the brand just in terms of being leasing and investment agents. I mean, we had an idea for a coffee shop that ended up being a restaurant. Um, <laughs> we've got other ideas for other initiatives in the future. And we just felt Compton was a name that could very easily be a firm of commercial agents in, in the city fringe, but by the same token, it could be a restaurant, it could be a barber shop, it could be a variety of different things. And I think you have to wait and see how we uh, roll out the brand in, in the months and years to come. Sure, okay. Um, now, um, your offices are in Clerkenwell. Um, do you tend to focus on that particular part of City Fringe or do you spread right across through Shoreditch and beyond? Yeah, no, it, it's, the, it's the whole City Fringe. So it's a question mm -hmm. we often get asked a lot. So to the um, west, um, I would say um, kind of Bloomsbury is the, is the furthest west we will go. Um, to the south, we don't really cross over Fleet Street. That kind of seems to be like our our geographical um our geographical kind of red line um to the north we do a lot around king's cross islington camden highbury um we've also started to do a lot more in kind of north london suburbs which kind of does um does kind of fit in with our occupied demographic um the eastern boundary is, is a harder one for us to to draw a line around because it's mm. continuously evolving as kind of mm. the regeneration continues we do Lots in Shoreditch, we do tons in Allgate Whitechapel. We started to do a fair bit around Stratford and Bow and, and other kind of eastern postcodes. So um, it's a big area, the city fringe. Um, we've been operating in it more than most people. You'll remember this was a this was, I mean, 15 years ago, this eastern city fringe was effectively the armpit of London that mm. not no one wanted to invest in, no agents wanted to do any leasing work here, and no occupiers wanted to be here. And um, ever since kind of David Cameron stood in the middle of Old Street Roundabout and declared that it was going to become the equivalent to Silicon Valley, it's kind of just gone on this kind of magical regeneration journey that doesn't seem to have any signs of slowing. Um, and I guess long may that continue. Absolutely. Okay. Um, how different is the office market now compared to pre-pandemic? I mean, the common narrative is that occupiers want less space but better quality. I mean, is that it, or is the picture more complicated? Yeah, the picture is way more complicated, and you get these kind of stupid reports that come out. I mean, there was one a couple of weeks ago. I think the Times reported on something that someone at Citibank said. I mean, talking about values dropping by thirty-eight percent. But within that report, there was there was there was no breakdown of sector by sector, quality of buildings, um, occupiers. I mean, it was just an absolute load of nonsense. But the the pitch is incredibly complicated. Um, yes, there is no denying that the, the the demand of occupiers has changed and changed quite significantly, in part. Um, 
I think what we are finding is that the two parts of the market that are performing really, really well. I mean, people talk about flights quality. That is absolutely the case. If you've got best-in-class stock in best-in-class locations, there seems to be um, no holding it back. And I would say that a lot of stuff that we're dealing with is actually performing better than it was pre-pandemic. Um, another area of the market that's kind of performing pretty well is, I guess, um, cheap and dirty. So and what I mean by that is the kind of the stuff that's um, inferior products, inferior locations, that's just really, really cheap and good value mm. is also performing really, really well. I guess the problem part of the market is is all the slodge in the middle um, where you've got kind of okay buildings in okay locations where in a pre-COVID world, landlords were able to surpass expectations and achieve rents, assuming the building wasn't a grade B building in a grade B location. And those are the buildings that, and that's the part of the market, I guess, that is going to struggle the most because I think occupiers are prioritising um, having an incredible environment to encourage their staff to be in the office and come back to work. Um, also, if they're taking less space then they're able to take more expensive space is is a is a trend we're seeing. They're saying, well, we're no longer taking 15,000 square feet, we're taking 10. Let's make sure the 10 is absolutely incredible, um, mm. which is why that kind of flight to quality argument is 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 ringing is ringing so loudly. So I would say um, all the concern pre or during COVID about the office being dead is a is a is a is a myth that that never happened. Um, if you've got the good stuff, it's going well. If you've got cheaper, nasty stuff and it's priced as cheaper, nasty stuff, it's flying. Um, I think the area where people need to be concerned at the moment and probably for the for the definitely the short, but probably the medium term is all the stuff that's kind of sits in that middle band. Mm, sure. OK. Um, did you think that agents have a slightly different role to play in kind of in this new era? I mean, is there kind of more of a dialogue between tenants and landlords over design aspects and stuff like that? Um, and do you kind of have more of a role to play in in that sense? Um, I think we, I mean, listen, something we love architecture here at Compton. I mean, it's, it's something that we've always, even before COVID, way before COVID, even before the global financial crisis, we were heavily involved in the design stages. Um, of, of of product um and, and why wouldn't we be i mean at the end of the day we we are dealing day to day hearing and working with occupiers understanding what they want seeing what works seeing what doesn't so i think we are an asset in that respect in terms of contributing to the design process um i think the agency community have evolved quite considerably over the years in in into that role um has the role changed since covid probably not um I think, listen, our, our responsibility is to is to do deals on behalf of our clients, whether it be acquiring space or disposing of space. Um, the market's got more challenging. Um, I think I think in the run up to COVID, I think there were a lot of average agents in the market doing pretty well. And I think I think a lot of those guys will probably get found out because as times get harder, kind of cream rises um so i think i think the agency the agency world is not is an is a incredibly competitive environment now more so than it ever has been before um and i think that's probably a trend that is going to continue um we quite like the competitive nature of it um but um i think some people are going to find it a lot more difficult compared to what they've been used to in a pre-covid era
OK, um, now um, Compton is an agency that likes to do things a bit differently. Um, you mentioned earlier that you've opened your own restaurant um, with kind of on the ground floor of your building. Um, how did that come about? Um, you know, was it a sense that opening an agency in the middle of a pandemic wasn't quite challenging enough? Yeah, no, we like to give ourselves lo loads of extra <laughs> aggravation. Um, <laughs> Really, really quick story. We were we always wanted to be in St John's Square. So for us, St John's Square is is kind of the epicenter of our universe. It's just beautiful. It's quaint. It's just a lovely environment for us to for us to be in. Um, we were actually taking our first floor, two thousand square foot, fully fitted, um, on the opposite on the south side of the square. Uh, we've actually agreed terms that are about to go on to offer. We were walking around with our fit out contractors. Um, talking about some modifications and we were looking out the window this is in January 2021 so all the, there were no leaves on the trees and we're looking directly across the square at uh, what used to be the modern pantry which was kind of a Clarkmore institution um, it was a restaurant during Covid it was obviously all boarded up completely closed and I called the landlord asking um, what the plan was with it oh uh, sorry no Mr. Park story out. So we're looking out the window in the 2,000 square foot floor, looking across the square at the board up on the pantry. And as a joke, I turned around to the guys and I said, how cool would it be if we had that building as our HQ? And we kind of all kind of laughed and then we kind of paused. Then we looked at each other and we were actually, that's actually not a bad idea. Anyway, I then called the landlord, asked what was happening with it. The lease of the modern pantry was about to expire. Cut a very, 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 very long story short. Um, I, we agreed a deal two days later to take the modern pantry. So we pulled out the other deal to take this building. The plan was to have our reception and meeting spaces on the ground floor, offices upstairs. And the plan was we would put a barista in on the ground floor and just kind of offer Clark and Moore free coffee. That was our kind of idea with the ground floor. We then started to meet coffee operators and coffee turned into a brunch menu, brunch turned into lunch, <laughs> lunch turned into dinner, dinner turned into a 1am licence and a year later, here we are with a full-blown restaurant in the middle of uh, Clark and Farrington, which to date seems to be very, very popular. Amazing. That must be quite handy for client meetings. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, just to make it very, very clear, I think given, um, given, and I say this, uh, I, I say this with a worrying tone, but given if you take on board people's working trends, as in they don't work in office five days a week, or the majority mm. don't, you add on top of that um, industrial action, things like strikes, monarchs dying, bank holidays, the weather being too good for people to eat in the restaurant, the weather being too bad for people to want to eat <laughs> in the restaurant. You can find all the different components. It is so difficult these days to actually make a restaurant a viable business, truly. Because um, mm. in theory, you're you're paying for staff five days a week, you're paying rent the whole time, you're buying for, food produce five days a week. But at probably best, you're only really getting three days worth of trade if you've taken all the different components that I just mentioned. Listen, we don't need it to be a viable business as far as we're concerned. For us, this is a, it's part of our marketing spend, it's part of our marketing exposure. For us, it's great to be able to bring clients here. I mean, the old saying kind of break bread with, with people. I mean, we actually don't just do it metaphorically. We do it physically, whether that be new clients we're trying to bring into the business or existing clients that we've been working with for many, many years. Um, not only do I like the fact that I can go downstairs and have breakfast, lunch and dinner in my restaurant and order off the menu or on the menu, whatever, whatever the case may be, but 
as a as an element to the Compton brand, um, it's been a really brilliant decision and one we're uh, really not only happy with, but incredibly proud of as well. Good stuff. Okay. Um, now, I think you also like to recruit a bit differently. Um, I've read that you kind of what you're after is rough diamonds rather than, you know, Oxbridge graduates, for example. I mean, is there a sense that being a good agent and having that love for a deal, um, it's something that's kind of quite innate and that you, know, you can't necessarily prove it with qualifications? Listen, property is a people business, right? So mm. what we want to do at Compton is very much make it about the people. And I think what unfortunately happens at, um, well, I guess, at much larger practices is they all recruit from the same pool of people who mm. all come from similar backgrounds. Um, they talk the same, they look the same, they dress the same, they've all had the same upbringing. Whereas what we do is we kind of try and flip it on its head slightly. What we don't want is this kind of cookie cutter approach because all of our clients are different. Um, all of the people we represent are different. And therefore, I'd like to think that within our, within the stable of the Compton, uh, Compton team, you, you've got kind of someone that will suit everyone. Um, but listen, I, I guess our recruitment policy comes from us as individuals. I mean, listen, I left school at 16, um, went straight into commercial property. Michael left school at 18 and went straight into commercial property. Elliot, I think, was left school at 17 and went straight into commercial property. So I think what our view is, and we are we are the, the examples of that, is you don't need A-levels, you don't need a degree, you don't need a master's, you don't need to go to Reading, you don't need to Oxford. You don't need to do any of these things in order to be successful as a commercial property agent in central London. You just don't need to do it, is our view. So, and what we have successfully done, as I've been running teams of business for 15 years, we've always managed to recruit um, the right kind of individual. And as I said, qualifications mean nothing to us. What we require is a hardworking mentality, entrepreneurial spirit and ambition. And if you kind of have those three things, you, you can work at Compton, but you don't need an A-level of degree or anything like that because it's all kind of nonsense as far as we're concerned. Fair enough. OK. Um, now, um, City Fringe, have you seen much kind of <clears throat> evolution in terms of the occupiers it attracts? I'm thinking, you know, certain types of occupiers that would previously have thought, oh, I've got to be in the city or the West End. Are they kind of taking more of an interest in the kind of, you know, yeah. the quality and the it's, character on offer? It's a, it's a really kind of timely question. So um, I think what we've seen, listen, if you break the City Fringe into... The city fringe as a district, you kind of got to break it up into sub-districts. And if I kind of mm. focus on two really, really quickly. So what we found with Farringdon is Farringdon is a location that um, whether you're a local occupier looking to relocate, whether you're a city occupier looking to migrate in, or you're a West End occupier looking to migrate in, Farringdon is an acceptable location for all of those people, which has been further enhanced by the arrival of Crossrail this year. Um, mm. You only need to look, I mean, we did that deal with uh, Julius Bear on behalf of Seaforth Land, um, where Julius Bear, the largest private bank in the world, have taken the most creative of creative buildings in the middle of Farringdon. I mean, there is not one white wall in this <laughs> building. Everything is concrete and brick. It's kind of an incredible example of, of, a, of, a, of a Farringdon product. And we've just landed a 15-year a lease to the world's largest private bank. Now, that is proof enough for me. I mean, there's loads of examples, but that example alone 
proves how Farringdon has progressed. Um, Shoreditch and Oldstreet has, has, has historically been very, very focused around tech, um, and there's no denying that, and that is something, a trend that I believe will continue. As I said in the early part of this conversation, the tech market at the smaller end is properly reactivated. The larger tech companies looking to take off bigger chunks of space has been slower, but we're starting the, the kind of, like I said, the gates are starting to open once again. But what's really interesting, I can't talk about it too much on this podcast, but I think in the new year, there's going to be two or three deals being reported um, whereby we have secured occupiers from West End locations and Midtown locations into the Old Street District. Um, some big names taking big chunks of space, which I think is going to start to rewrite the narrative for the Old Street District. Um, you got to remember the 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 West End market is going to be starved of space probably for the next five years. Um, the city does what the city does, but I think a really exciting pocket, especially given all the regeneration transformation works that are happening around Old Street Station. I, for me, Old Street as a as a district is going to be, I think, pretty exciting over the next five years. And people think I'm mad when I say that because of the journey it's had over the last 10 years. But I actually think the next five years could be as exciting, if not more exciting, than the previous 10 years we've just had. Good stuff. OK, um, you also kind of handle the investment side of things. Um, what's that market been like this year? Because, I mean, you know, I remember oh. when the pound collapsed, everyone thought that was going to open the floodgates for overseas mm -hmm. investors. It's been pretty brutal to be honest with you. I mean, we had a brilliant um, H1. Um, our, our, our first year numbers on the investment transactions mm -hmm. was was brilliant, quite frankly. Um, we have a, a, a relatively small team. We punch way above our weight. And we, we've kind of closed bucket loads of deals in the first half of the year. I mean, the second half of the year, I think we've done more than most of them. I mean, looking at some of the stats and some of the league tables that we keep here, I think as a, as a niche player, I think we've outperformed i would say but it's been brutal i mean we talk about lost revenue i mean the amount of lost revenue this year from the investment side of our business is staggering um and i mean i quite frankly i think the market right now is completely paralyzed with fear um i'd like to think in the new year um we'll find some stability um i think the problem for investment agents right now is this is probably the worst moment i mean we like we don't mind it when the market's going up we quite like it when the market's going down as it creates opportunity but when you have moments like this when you've got this kind of paralyzed environment where no one wants to, everyone's scared to buy at certain levels no one no one knows what's happening with the market or where it's going this is arguably i mean this last quarter has been a disaster the stats will prove it i mean I know there's been a couple of very large investment deals take place. But if you take out the two or three very, very large deals that have taken place in the final quarter of this year, my my hunch is it's going to be one of the worst quarters since records began. It's going to be devastatingly low. That's a prediction, but also it's just been dreadful. Okay. Um, now, I mean, you've kind of proved already that you can kind of successfully navigate your way through a pandemic. Um, how bad do you think things are going to get with the recession we're now, you know, heading into or already into, depending on who you believe? I mean, have you seen much evidence that it's already hitting demand for, for space? Well, I've got to be honest. I mean, 
when it when it when all this kicked off, I was kind of a bit petrified. And and listen, being petrified, I think I was right to be petrified because I think the investment market has done exactly what we thought it would do, which is absolutely nothing. But we have been really kind of encouraged by the volume of activity we've done on the leasing side. I mean, mm. I, I'm not saying we we haven't had any casualties because of course there has been some occupier letting casualties whether it was people putting things on hold or trying to renegotiate pricing or just putting out deals and and just not doing anything but actually that on balance seems to be kind of quite minimal um compared to the amount of success that we and i know lots of people in in our peer group and and other agents are having so Listen, I'm not going to be one of these guys that just thinks everything. I'm just not going to talk glass half full the whole time. There are lots of headwinds in front of us that do give cause for concern. But I do not think as it stands here today on the 14th of December, it is anywhere near as bad as commentators were predicting or the market had assumed. So... I guess long may that continue, but we will see. Fingers crossed. Okay. Fingers crossed. Um, now, the thing I always ask, um, if you had a magic wand, um, what's kind of, you know, the one thing you do with it to, to help the, the real estate market? Um, I, I do think, I do think, um, I mean, one thing that it's not something we specialise in, but I do think mm. having had the optics of how running a restaurant operates, I do think there needs to be some form of, business rate reform um mm. pretty sharpish as i said i think working habits have changed since covid i think for any city center to be a success it it relies on a office workers but b the immediate offering within these within these environments and i think given the new ways of working and the new schedule of working um i think it's much more difficult for retailers and operators of retail and leisure generally to survive and i do think there needs to be some reform in the business rates to give um these operators more bandwidth and uh and and less overhead because it's an incredibly difficult market as i said we we run it downstairs without needing to make a profit but we are there are only many restaurateurs that can open a restaurant with the intention of not making or not needing mm. to make profit. Um, so I think that's, that is a potential problem on the horizon for the government. I think it's something they probably need to deal with pretty sharpish. Sure. Okay. Um, and finally, um, you have a kind of a, a Monday morning ritual of um, checking the radius rankings just to see where you stand and how you, the rest of the market stacks up. Um, how um, you know valuable, valuable at all is that and how much of a kind of motivational factor is it for going out there and getting deals across the line? Uh, it's, I mean, for us, it's huge. I mean, listen, I we have ever since 2010 when we launched Hatton Real Estate, the EG or now as and now known as Radius League Tables have always been incredibly component. Has been always been an incredibly important element for us. Um, listen, we are, as I said, I mean, we are like we have got mad levels of ambition here, and if you've got mad levels of ambition, you have to be fiercely competitive. I think the two mm. very much go hand in hand. We don't like losing. We don't like coming second. We want to be first. So, yes, we like um, doing deals. We like earning fees, but we also like being top of the table. It's it's no different to a Premier League football team um, 
wanting to do the same. So it is important to us. It also kind of it, it kind of allows us to to track our performance properly against our competitors. Um, and our competitors are not just other niche practices. Our, our competitors are the big global agencies. And for us to be um, top of that table and by some margin in only our first year of full trading, for us is kind of the, well, I guess it's, it's a pat on the back for all the kind of blood, sweat and tears that have gone into it since we started, really. So very important. We do sit down every Monday. I wasn't doing it just for effect. <laughs> we, have our, we have our Monday morning, uh, we have our Monday morning leasing or agency team meeting at 7.30 every Monday morning. That gets done by about 8.30, 8.45. We then go down, we look at all the deals we've done. We then try and work out mentally what that would do to the lead tables and it <laughs> kind of sets us off for our week, basically. So, uh, yes, our target, we, we, we said at the beginning of the year, one of our goals this year was to be top of the table for four consecutive quarters. We've done three. I'm hoping we've done the four, unless someone has come up with a mad, <laughs> mad deal towards the end of the year. But it was one of our targets this year. And I'm hoping when the figures are tallied in the beginning part of January, we would have hit four out of four. And I actually think that would actually be in the seven quarters we've been operating, we'd have been top for six. So uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, on that happy note, um, I think we'll bring things to a close. Many thanks for your time. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.